me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Last week we covered through verse 11. Today we're going to pick up in verse 12. Father, help us. Keep us from distraction here. Help us to focus solely here on this, your word, the very words of God. Help us, Father, that we might hear, and that in hearing, your Spirit might reveal to us truth about you and about ourselves and about this life. Change us, God, we pray, because of what we will do here today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that uh, my, my son Alex has been in Bangkok for the last four and a half years. And he and his wife and son came finally back to the United States this past week. Company's coming. Better clean up. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We've got to clean out that room. I don't know what's all in there, but it's all coming out. And you know that process, right? You know, Melanie, the ever-diligent, hard worker. There's a closet needs to be cleaned. First step one, everything comes out. And there's a big pile of stuff. And then you make that decision. What goes back in and what leaves this house forever? You know, to be a blessing to someone else. We clean up. We clean up at the coming of people who are special to us. In the last couple of weeks, we have talked about the coming of our Lord Jesus, first and foremost for the church, his imminent return. Before I finish the next sentence, we could all be gone. It is that imminent. Nothing needs to happen before the return of Jesus. Just at his perfect timing, and no one knows but the Father himself when that will be. Jesus is coming. Better clean up. How's that for a transition? You see here at the end of verse 5, Paul, as he does in all of his letters, moves to some practical application of the theological truths. In other words, how we must live in light of what we know will come to pass. And he gives us clear, four clear instructions on how we must live together as we wait the day of Jesus' return. Now it's the month of October. Hear me, I did not plan this. And I, I, frankly, I wasn't quite aware of this. This is a, a pastoral appreciation month or something. And I start studying the beginning of the week and I gulped big. Because instruction number one here is honor your leaders. <laughs> Take a look at this. Surely this must be the origin in someone's mind. He says, you need to honor your leaders. This is, he's talking about body life. And by the body, we're talking about the body of Christ. How we live together in light of the coming days. And he says to honor your leaders. He says to respect them. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
And he says to esteem them, verse 13, very highly. That's a bit of an understatement. It literally, that word means beyond measure, over the top, Paul is saying here. To esteem them very highly in love. Why? Because of their work. Because of their work. You see, the Thessalonian believers were to demonstrate this special appreciation, not because their leaders were personally lovable or even admirable, but because of the contribution that they made to the other believers. Even if a leader made a small contribution, those profiting from this ministry should appreciate and respect him for his service because of his personal activity and because of the intrinsic importance of his work. And so Paul says, look, if we're going to live well here, you need to respect your leaders. Boy, that's just true everywhere from the time you hit kindergarten. You know, what kind of school is this? It's the kind where you don't talk without permission. Oh, that's a tough one to learn. You know, teachers talking, you don't. It isn't long in this life that we learn that if we're going to do well, we need to learn to respect our elders. So respect them and appreciate them. And, and in Hebrews uh, thirteen seventeen, to add to that, Paul writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those, note carefully, as those who will give an account... In other words, the leaders of your church, wherever your church might be here at Family Bible Church, or if you're listening in some other state in the union, but your pastor will give an account before the Lord of just what kind of saint you were. Imagine that. And notice what, what, the, what he says here. But let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. No groaning here, friends. This guy is thrilled to be your pastor. Absolutely. And so all your leaders, that's where it begins in verses 12 and 13. But this, just as you would anticipate, as we come to the end of verse 13, we see the instruction about how we ought to live with one another, to be mindful of one another. Instruction, be at peace among yourselves. No friction, no hostilities, no animosities among the people of God. But I tell you, this, this lights a fire under me to think about this. We are the people of God. We have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We have all of the promises and the powers of God available to us. Shame on us if we divide. Shame on us if we are divisive. My friends, be a peacemaker. You know how to keep at peace with one another? Be a peacemaker. Every last one of us in this room, people who aren't here today listening in, every last one of us must be a peacemaker. And you know what a peacemaker does? A peacemaker sees a potential problem and steps in. 
They don't say, you know, that's really none of my business. It is absolutely your business. Now, this is a very unified church right now. There's no doubt about that. We tend to like one another, don't we? And how sweet that is. But we must be peacemakers. We must step in and help maintain peace. Be mindful of one another. Be be at peace among yourselves, he says. And be your brother's keeper. Remember where the origin of that statement comes from? Cain and Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to know what's going on? Yes! Yes, you are. You absolutely are to step in and look out for one another. Look at verse 14. Paul says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Now, that word admonish is not one we throw around too much. It basically means to talk to and to counsel. It is a kind word. It's not a harsh, hey, knock it off back there. It is to step into someone's life and say, hey, what can I do to help you do better? The idol, of course, might be those that... uh, heard about the return of Christ and said, well, I'm taking the rest of my life off then. Has Jesus come at any moment? No sense in rushing around doing stuff. <laughs> and Paul says, hey, go talk to that person. That person that just sits by and watches everyone else. And he says, encourage the faint-hearted. That's, that word, what does that mean? We all know what that word means unless somebody asks us, right? <laughs> the faint-hearted, that word literally means little-souled. S-O-U-L, our soul, little-souled person. And these are the, the quitters of the church family. They always look on the dark side of things and give up when the going gets tough. And you know what Paul doesn't say? Well, just let him go then. Does that sound very Christian to you? Does that sound like something Jesus would do? The instruction here, my friend, is to encourage them. That word encouragement means to come up alongside them and strengthen them. It's the kind of people we're supposed to be. We need to step up and be a brother's keeper. And then he says to hold up the weak, help the weak, be patient with them. And then here in verse 15, do good to others. Melanie hurt herself. You all know about this. She was putting something in the oven and something just clicked at her back. I don't know if there was a sound but she could hardly stand up or she couldn't sit down. She couldn't get up by herself. Took her to the doctor, got an x-ray and a couple of shots and some meds. And, and, and someone was so kind at her workplace. Bought a bunch of food, like a ton of food. Went to a restaurant, bought up all of these things and brought them to the house. Now, Alex is my son's wife, Fi, 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 
Yeah, still getting that straight in my head. She said, why would somebody do this? Who is this? Why would they be so kind to you? You know what that was, friends? That was the first gospel opportunity. Do good to others. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Hey, is anybody going to clean that up? <laughs> do good to others. That's an active thing, my friends. Not just hope something good happens to somebody. Do good to others. See that no one repays evil for evil. Because that would be evil, and that ought never to be cited in the church of God. Evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Yeah, but they don't believe in Jesus, and they snicker when I talk about church. Do good to them. Do good to them, too. And then they see the good of goodness of God in your life. And then maybe one day the Spirit of God opens their eyes and says, Hey, maybe there's something to this Christianity. Do good. Do good to others. Thirdly, I notice, we're not only to honor our leaders and be mindful of one another, but we are to be disciplined. Disciplined. Some instruction that's tough to swallow. Rejoice always. What does it mean to rejoice? It means to celebrate. It means to be joyful. And it says here, the Word of God says to us, always. Yeah, but what if you kick that thing on the floor that you're always kicking and it hurts because you... And I always wear shoes everywhere in the house because I will kick or step on something that will cause massive amounts of pain. <laughs> Anybody with me out there? Yeah. Rejoice. I'll tell you what, friends. If it takes you more than three seconds to come up with a reason to rejoice right now, we need to get together this week. We need to rehearse what the Lord has done for us, what he has promised for us. How everything matters in this life, including how you respond to somebody cutting you off. It all matters. Rejoice always. Yep. Even when it's hard, even when it's sad, even when, when you don't like this day. I started my day grabbing my phone. See, I have a notification on Facebook. And a man I have known since 1972, that's 51 years for you math people, died today. All kinds of uh, memories of my youth tied up with that guy and four other guys. We went from second grade to third grade to fourth grade to fifth grade to sixth grade, all the way through high school together. And we have stayed connected. And he's gone. 
and I wonder, I've talked to him about Jesus. Did the Spirit of God ever use that? Or is he in hell today? Not yet. Hell is still yet future, but torment, torment is for the lost. Be disciplined. Pray without ceasing. What's that? Keep one eye closed and one eye hand folded? What's that all about? You know the attitude of prayer, which is not the same as reciting the same thing you do every meal time. That wasn't an accusation, just a warning. <laughs> that is not the attitude of prayer. The attitude of prayer is sensing the great need you have for God and the great gratitude you have for Him. You ever just fall into prayer? You ever do that? Something just good in your life and you just cry out your gratitude to the Lord? Yeah, that's the attitude we're talking about. The constant connectivity to the Lord. And then while you may have said amen, you never really stopped. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. You say, how can I give thanks when some, somebody ran into my car in a parking lot? How am I supposed to be thankful about that? Because we know, and you know what we know. We know all things work together for good. Because God is at work in it. Whatever it might be, how difficult it may be, God is in the midst of it. And he's going to accomplish something through that. All of it counts. And so, my friends... Give thanks in all circumstances. I meet with a friend I've had since, I think, middle school. Every week we do Zoom together. He lives in Lansing, Michigan, where I grew up. And, and we get together, we talk about our churches and what we're teaching. And, and I had referenced this verse about uh, pray without ceasing. And giving thanks in all circumstances. Notice this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what God wants in your life right now? Read that again. This is the will of God for you. To give thanks in all circumstances. And he says, you know, after we talked about that, I really started to think about how much thanks do I really offer to God? You know, without the thank you for the food and for the, <laughs> you know, but spontaneous praise of thanksgiving, the recognition of the goodness of God. When you walk outside and the sky is clear, yeah, and you just can't wait to thank Him. And there it is, my friends. Give thanks in all circumstances. And the reason we can do that is because we know every single circumstance we find ourselves in. God is working through us and in us through that. 
Be disciplined. Practice healthy habits. Rejoice and pray and give thanks. And heed these critical warnings. Paul is about to lay out some things here that are of utmost importance. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. He's about to talk about something related to God's word. People's attitudes about it. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything for genuineness. I added the genuineness thing. That's what the test is about. And hold fast to what is good. You see, he's talking about a church in a particular circumstance with particular people in it. And there are people that did just that. Quenching the work of the spirit of God. That word quench, you know, we use it in regard to our thirst. We have this thirst, this desire, and how do we make it go away? Well, in this case, we have the Spirit of God at work in the midst of the saints. And there are people that just throw a bucket of cold water on it. Imagine that. Worship that ignores the Bible is not spiritual. It's related to the Holy Spirit, my friends. There may be emotion and even commotion, but unless there is spiritual truth, the Holy Spirit is not at work. You see, the the, 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 uh, church, the early church, they didn't have the NIV or NASB or the ESV or any of the other things with a V in it. They didn't have a Bible. What they had was the process being done in their midst. This letter being sent to this church, the very words of God. And what they did have was prophets. They had some people with a gift of prophecy. And here Paul writes in verse 20, Do not despise prophecies, but you make sure it's from God. You see, the Holy Spirit gave the gift of prophecy to certain members of the church who would speak a message through them. When I preach, I preach immediately from the Word of God. You see, I'm not making this stuff up. I say, take a look, it's in there. This is what the Word of God says. They didn't have that. So the Holy Spirit would lead these people and to lay out, speak forth the truth of the Word of God. Now these uh, early prophets preached truth immediately as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And their spiritual knowledge was given to them by the Holy Spirit. Today we have a completed revelation in the Word of God. We have no need for prophets. The apostles and prophets, they laid a foundation for the church. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that but now have passed from the scene because we have the Word of God. And because we have the Word of God, we ought to be focused. We ought to be focused on what we must do. Verse 22, abstain. I mean, stay away from this. All from every form of evil. Evil takes many forms. 
in song, in speech, in action, in acting, in all of these things. And the Word of God says, stay away from it. Stay away from it. Abstain from every form of evil. That's what we must do. Why must we do it? Well, take a look at what God will do. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There's that word sanctify. The process of setting us apart in holiness. See, God has done that. Set us apart from the rest of the world. Okay, that is true positionally. What he's talking about here is practically that you're living it out. Sanctify you completely. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. See, that's the goal. Blameless. Not better than the next guy. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Well, we don't do that stuff. Now, we have our own little sibs that we say might be okay because, you know, they're not as bad as that other guy. Blameless. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. I'll tell you what, friends. You know why we don't practice sin? For one, it is an offense to God. It is vomit at the feet of Jesus. We don't practice sin because it brings death. It is contrary to everything that God longs for for you. And the last thing you want to be doing when Jesus comes is be in the midst of rebellion. Look, he died for me. I didn't care that much. Imagine. Imagine the shame of such actions. So we know what we must do. Stay away from every form of evil because God, when He returns, is working in your life even now to cause you to be blameless. This, by the way, was a personal reminder from the Holy Spirit of God. Stop it. You know that thing you're thinking about right now? Oh yeah, he's talking about that. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And you know why that'll happen? Because he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Whatever it costs. Whatever discipline he needs to lay out in your life. Whoever he needs to remove from your life, God will continue to work that work in your life. And then Paul wraps up this book. And he says, brothers, pray for us. There's that plural. Timothy is one of them that with him there were others. And he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So here we have instruction from God. For now on, we will be greeting one another with a holy kiss. And you know what that looks like? It looks like a handshake, friends. <laughs> it wasn't at the time, but friends, there's a reason we stopped doing it. Too much complication. He says, pray for us. Give all the brothers, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. 
And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Every one of the saints of the church of God need to read this truth. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and it is. So my friends, prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord by living well today. Take a look at these instructions. Measure your life against these things and make the adjustments. Be a fan, not a bucket. Fan the flames of the work of the Spirit of God. Don't quench the Spirit. Be a peacemaker. Remember we talked about that? Be a peacemaker. If you see division among the people of God, step in. Step in. And finally, be focused on the goal. What is the goal again? Anybody remember that? Blameless. You live your life one decision at a time, one thought at a time. Check those decisions, friends. Check those thoughts. Check those motives. And be blameless. Father, help us. These are heavy things. Started out feeling like, you know, just be a good person. But Lord, you want more than that. You want us to live out our life in holiness. Purity, blamelessness. Surely you are worthy of it. Father, you gave your Son. We can't even imagine. Lord Jesus, you laid down your life. You drew us into this relationship with God through Jesus. Help us to live like it. Change our minds, God. Convict us. Cause us to be unsettled about our sin. That we might be blameless. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.